0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Many years ago, when I was a pretty new Christian, I read a book by Max Lucado. I'm kind of, every now and then, other pastors get after me for loving that guy, (laughs) and I don't agree with him on some fundamental things even now, but I remember a story that he told when he was a young man, and he was uh, living down near the coast, and a hurricane was coming in, and he and his buddies had a boat, a cheap, raggedy old boat, and they wanted to save their boat through the hurricane, and so what they did is they took all kinds of ropes, and they tied them to trees, and they just really had a terrible cobweb of ropes. And this old, crusty fisherman looked at them and said, that ain't how it works. And the look on that fisherman's face spoke of experience with hurricanes and boats. And so they said, what do we do? He said, you anchor deep and pray for the best. And so they undid all of their terrible cobweb of ropes. They put a deep anchor in place, and they prayed for the best. And by God's grace, the boat made it. It wasn't much of a boat in the first place. But it was a great truth that I held on to that we are heading into a season we have no idea what is coming our way globally, locally. We have no idea. But we know that our Father does have an idea and that He's sovereign over it all. And that your soul and my soul need a deep anchor to weather the storms. And it's really not money, and it's not persuasion of personality. It's not gritty strength and human wisdom. That's not going to get you there. That's a cobweb of ropes that will not sustain you. You're going to need something bigger and deeper, And over the next 13 weeks, we're going to be introducing you again and again and again to our Redeemer. We want you to know what it means that He is the one who has redeemed us. He bought us back when we could not buy ourselves. He switched places with us. He came after us. He extricated us from harm. He redeemed us. Well, the first interaction, and we're going to be going all through all four Gospels, picking out various interactions and showing you the heart of our Redeemer. The first one is here in Matthew chapter 3. Speaking of Jesus in his baptism, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, immediately, some questions start to arise in your mind one, I want you to know the geography of Israel. One, it's not very large. And when it speaks of Galilee, it's speaking of Jesus' home base of operation. When you go to Israel, and I intend to plan a trip sometime in the next maybe 12 months, where if you go there with me, you will see that, one, your Bible comes alive in a way you never imagined before, just walking in the very same places where the apostles walked, where Jesus walked, where the Uh, the founders of our faith where they walked. But Galilee, you'll know when you're there, feels very different from any place in the country. It's peaceful there. It's beautiful there. It feels slower paced when you're there. And when you go up onto this mountain for the first time overlooking Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, the shocking thing is that you can see the whole uh, body of water at one time five to seven miles wide, maybe 12 miles north to south. It's not super deep in water. And it's, it's this beautiful, beautiful place. And it's at the top, the northern part of Israel, and the Jordan River runs down from Galilee to the Dead Sea in the southern part of Israel. And so when you hear this about Jesus coming from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John... I want to form in your mind a picture of a beautiful place, a place that is tranquil. And John probably did most of his baptisms a little bit further south, near the uh, Dead Sea. And Jesus is coming to him in a place that is rugged at the the, uh, northern tip of the Dead Sea. And it is still beautiful because the Jordan runs into it. He comes to him for baptism. Well, now, what is baptism? Baptism. Well, baptism is a public aligning with the message of John the Baptist. For Jesus, he is coming and he is aligning himself with the message of John the Baptist, who was sent by God as the last Old Testament voice, the last prophetic voice of the Old Testament, the one who would say, This is the one that God has sent. And so he is coming and he is going to be baptized, which is a rehearsing of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He will go into the water and he will be raised again. And John had been baptizing people from the nation of Israel who had a religious system. They had a bunch of do's and don'ts. They had a sacrifice system. And he was saying, that is a pointing finger to the heart of God, and you've treated it like it was the end, that it was enough, that it was enough for you that you would do this and not do that, that you would sacrifice this animal. And John is saying, I am calling you to turn away from religion. And I'm calling you to turn towards your Savior, towards the heart of God. And I want you to repent of your wickedness and repent of your righteousness that can't save you and turn to God. And so he is calling the nation of Israel away from religion to the heart of God. And Jesus comes to him to be baptized. You might even ask yourself, Why would Jesus need to be baptized? He has no sin to repent of. He has no reason to go and say, this is all of the sin that I've committed and I want to turn from it. And John had the same question. It says that John would have prevented him. John says, you come to me? It's you who should be baptizing me is really what he's saying. Why would you come to me for baptism? I don't know about you, but like for me, I love my Presbyterian USA brothers. I disagree with them on this point and a handful of other things. But I was sprinkled as a baby in the Presbyterian church. And when I got saved as a high school and senior, it was my conviction that I wanted to go and be immersed. And I'll tell you why. Nobody else had said this to me. I saw that that's what Jesus did that it was his model that he laid out. And he says to John, the reason I'm coming for baptism is for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is authenticating John as much as John is saying, this is what my role is, is to introduce you to the nation of Israel. Jesus is now saying, and I am authenticating your message of repentance by coming to you to be baptized. I'm aligning with others who are going to have to get saved because they have to be saved from sin, I am in humility identifying with every other sinner. Just like when he goes onto a cross in our place, when he's laid in a borrowed tomb, he is identifying with all of us. And as I said, he is rehearsing his future work on the cross where he will be crucified. He will be buried, and three days later, raised from the dead. I want you to see that as what is happening here. When I was in Illinois, a friend of mine, his name is Jason Mantia. I prayed for Jason for a long time, and his wife prayed for him for a long time. Jason's a big guy, big, muscled-up guy, tattoos everywhere, but he is... One of the sweetest, kindest men I've ever met. And he's also a software engineer. <laughs> and so it's a weird combination of guy that's it, that is Jason Mantilla. And Jason is wonderful. And he came to such a terrible place in his life that he actually went in and said goodbye to his children because he said that he was done living. And then there in his darkness, his wife was praying went after him, found him, and she just sat there with him crying, and he got saved while his wife was just hovering over him, praying for him. And then he came back and said, Robert, I think God's been answering your prayers and my wife's prayers. I really want to go get baptized. And it was the greatest thing in the world because we did it outside. It was in Illinois, and it was a beautiful summer day. And uh, as we baptized Jason in a horse trough, I mean, it's what we had, right? So we took him and put him under the water, and as he came up, he put both arms up and said, I win, I win, <laughs> because Jesus has saved me. I've won everything in this moment, and his wife just sat there crying. We all sat there crying, because Jesus had set his mark in him from eternity past, and he saved him. And this public declaration through baptism was a public aligning with the message of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. It doesn't save you. It won't save you just getting wet. But it is the outward symbol of the inward truth that you too have been crucified with Christ to be raised again to walk in the newness of life. And so Jesus is coming to authenticate the message of the last off, uh, Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, and to model what he will do for us and what we will follow him in. I hope that you would hear this with the right heart. I want you to get baptized if you have not. We will soon be doing making an announcement of baptisms Uh, this coming spring. And I hope that if you've not been baptized, that you will not see that as any type of law, any type of, well, this will somehow save me, or this is required of me. Look, it is the step of obedience that we take when we recognize what our Savior has done for us, and we follow Jesus in baptism. Well, that's what he is doing here in this beautiful picture. And John wants to know why, and so he tells him, this fulfills all righteousness. And it says... Then he consented, and Jesus, when he was baptized, immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "'This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased.'" Before we dive into the really heart of what the Father said in that moment, I want to point out something that is of utmost importance to us. And maybe you've thought about it and maybe you haven't, but there is a uniqueness in Christianity that is something we need to dive into and embrace and enjoy and celebrate. It is the triune nature of our God. All three, one God three persons of one essence, alive, active, speaking, engaged in this. Not speaking the Father speaks, but engaged and present at the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. Now, why does that matter? It matters at the highest level that if God is holy, transcendent, like the sun in the sky, I can't approach it doesn't matter if like the Aggies, I try to go at night. It's not going to work. It's going to burn me up, right? It's too much. Is that too close to some of you? You feel the sting of that? You can't approach the Son because it's too much for you. You can't approach the holiness of the Father because He is not like us. He is other than us. That's what holiness means. It means other. He is other than us. Just like my hand and fire are not compatible They can't exist together. The fire would ruin the hand. Well, guess what? I cannot approach the holiness of God by myself because he is other than me. He is holy. He is perfect. In every single religion in the world, it doesn't matter any place on the earth geographically, it doesn't matter when in history, every other culture has a view of God that he must be appeased... There is a gap between God and between us, and the way that we bridge that gap is through religion, the do's and don'ts. And you say, what about atheists? Well, I'll get to them in a minute, but they've got their own set of do's and don'ts. God is transcendent. We are sinful, and there is a gap between us, and religion is the set of do's and don'ts that help us climb the ladder and bridge the gap. You could say it like this. Religion, by the way, in the New Testament, is always used in a negative light, except for one place in the book of James. True and undefiled religion is this. But religion is seen as a set of rules, a system of vows and ceremonies, whereby we bridge the gap between our sinful heart and the holy heart of God. But Christianity stands alone, completely alone, in that we have a triune God who bridges the gap for us. Rather than just giving us a bunch of rules, those rules will break us, break our hearts, and we will cry out for help. That help is called a Savior. That help is the Son of God. And so when we see in this passage The Spirit of God, it says that the heavens were literally, in Mark's version, he says they were torn open. So picture a six-year-old on Christmas morning tearing through the paper. That's what happened in the sky that day. And the Spirit of God comes like a dove. We don't really know what it was. It says descending like a dove, something happened, and the Holy Spirit came and descends and rests upon the Son of God. And this is a beautiful picture because you should at this moment be going into your mind's eye and seeing something happening where the heavens are opened up and something glorious and beautiful starts to flutter down and rest on Jesus. And in that moment, a broad smile breaking across his face, tears coming down his cheeks because he feels and experiences the joy of Of the triune God, the Spirit descending upon him, the Father speaking words of affirmation. See, this is the beauty of being a Christian is that we have a triune God who doesn't tell me, here's the rules, redeem yourself. Don't do this, start doing this. Keep these rules, keep these ceremonies, keep, because see, all that is is a system by which I have to bridge the gap myself. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Can't do it. You'll either end up feeling completely defeated, like God God is forever just looking at you like, come on, would you get on with it? After all I've done for you, can't you do better than that? You'll end up with that if you've got religion and no no savior. Or you'll end up a complete rebel who says, well, to heck with all this. I'm just going to go do what I want. Or you'll end up proud. You'll start thinking you have nailed it. I mean, you've had four quiet times in a row. Shared the gospel once a couple months ago, you know. You, you know, lost three or four pounds, maybe. Huh? You know, I mean, there's something you're going to have to try to find your merit in because you're saving yourself. You're the Redeemer. I, I, we're not called to redeem ourselves. We've got a triune God who, in his holiness, bridged the gap for us in Jesus. He came. He bridged the gap. He came to us in the form of uh, sinful flesh, and He did for us, He lived for us the life we could not live perfection. He died the death we were uh, entitled to die, that it was our responsibility to pay that debt. He paid it. And guess what? After that was over, after the forgiveness that that he took away our sin, he gave us his righteousness, and the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, came to take up residence in me, grace me, grace me, fill me, empower me to walk in this broken earth all the way home. Now, that's better than religion, guys. And that is uniquely Christian. I'm not redeeming myself. He's doing it. He has done it. He is doing it. He's alive and awake in me. Now, that is fantastic news. That is really good. And if we forget that, if we forget that we have a Savior, then we've got to save ourselves. And we're not capable of that. We start living a lie, and we start pretending to be somebody we're not. And then we hide because we don't want anybody to see the real us. You guys heard of a WYSIWYG before? What you see is what you get. I got a daughter who's a WYSIWYG. My Gracie, she's always been a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. I love WYSIWYGs. I love them. Like they don't—they don't pretend to be something they're not. And it's a sad day when they finally realize, oh, you mean the real me is—is—is is, is gonna feel isolated or not good enough, and so they start pretending to be something else. That's a terrible thing. You know what? That comes from that freedom, that sense of, well, I'm safe and I'm free to be me, and you can love me or hate me. That comes from what Jesus is getting right here from the Father. He is getting a core identity. He is getting, he is for him, he already knows this, but the sound of his Father's voice saying it is an affirmation that is like a deep anchor that will sustain him through the public ministry that he's about to go through. So please, draw near and hear this. What the Father says to the Son is a deep, deep anchor that will sustain him over and over again through the hardships of life's storms for Jesus is about to go through in his public ministry. Now, if that's true for him, and we're following him not only in baptism, we're following him also in coming into this unique, beautiful dance that is the triune God, that we're invited into the fellowship and life of the triune God, then this is very, very important, what we're about to look at. We're going to look right at what the Father says to the son the day that he's baptized. Many years ago, when I was 15 years old, I was working at a restaurant called People's Restaurant. And it was kind of like a Chili's you know, wannabe, I guess. And I was a busboy. And I, um, they had an auction, because they'd closed two other restaurants. And it was kind of a place where you had all the paraphernalia all over the walls and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they were going to close these two and they said, we're going to have an auction and you can buy some of the junk that we've got. And I was so excited. I had about 30 bucks in my pocket. (laughs) And uh, I'd marked out this, like, neon sign-like thing. I'd marked out, like, a wireless phone. And this was 1985, so bear with me. But it was so cool, man. I had to pull out the antenna, and I was like, man, I got to have that, you know? And so I'm watching at the auctions going on, and my item comes up, and man, I, I'm bidding, and it's no time before I'm outbid. <laughs> and I'm like, it! well, there's one other item, you know, and, and I got outbid both times. And I remember thinking, I don't have enough money to compete with, I, I've, my buying power is insufficient. Well, it turns out the owner of the restaurant saw what was going on as I had only bid on, you know, two items. And he saw me get outbid, and because he had deeper pockets than the guy that outbid me, he went in, he jumped in, and he bought the stuff I wanted and handed it to me. And I said, why'd you you do that? he goes, I saw that you didn't have the buying power, and I did. So here. Now, friends, hear this. You don't have as much buying power with God as you think you have. You can't buy his favor with your church attendance, and you can't buy it with your reading Bible and studying this and trying to be kind. You're not, your buying power is insufficient, but his is not. And he sees you in your poor estate. He sees what's going on, that you're outmatched, and he's got buying power to redeem your soul and to hold on to you through every storm. Now listen, that's what we're heading into. And I want you, if you're out daydreaming in your brain, I want you to dial back in with me, okay? I want you to come back, and I want you to listen closely, because what the Father says to the Son is uniquely for Him, and then it is ours in Him. So hear what He says to His Son. After the Spirit descends like a dove and rests on him like the the dove that left Noah's ark and it came back because it couldn't find a place to land because he didn't want to land on a, a bloated buffalo somewhere. He wanted to land someplace clean. The Spirit comes back and it lands with the fig leaf, right? Okay, well now the Spirit of God uh, lands on Jesus and rests on him because he is pure and he is holy and Jesus Feels the joy of the Spirit descending upon him. And behold, the Father speaks and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So let's unpack it, slow down, have a look at it. Can we all agree that when the Father speaks, what He says has more weight? And it has more bearing than any other opinion at any other place at any other time. And so when he says, this is whatever follows is true, right? There's you could take all of the qualifications that the world might say, This is true about Bob Huntley. This is who he is. And then God says, I say this is what's true of Bob Huntley. Now you got scales, right? You've got comments from people and, and weighty comments and what they say, this is true about Bob. And then you've got God saying, this is what I say is true. Now, which one weighs more? Okay, boom. God's opinion. God, so when, when Jesus hears the Father speak and he says, this is, and the first word is, my, 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 my. He is my son. (laughs) Can you see that? See, because Joseph, most scholars believe, Joseph had been dead for a while. So Jesus grew up probably not with his dad, Joseph, his adopted father, Joseph, actively engaged. He died somewhere before the public ministry. And so there was a lot of... uh, complaint, there was a lot of accusation that he was just a fatherless child. He didn't have a dad. You know what the father says in the whole listening world, just so that you can all hear this out loud. He's mine. My son. Mine. <laughs> and that's important. He doesn't grow up with a sense that he has no father. He grows up with a deep sense of belonging. You're mine and I'm yours. And that is significant. I grew up without a dad actively. He was just absent, right? The generation, the sin, the brokenness. I just grew up with a dad that wasn't engaged and wasn't present and wasn't there. You know, my parents divorced when I was 12. So I kind of grew up with envy, dad envy. I'd sometimes see kids playing with their dad, and I'd just be like, ah. And it wasn't something that I liked to feel or even admit that I did feel, but I felt it. I felt it deeply. That sense of that emptiness, that void, that kind of, God, man, I wish I had a dad that was, you know, just... Cool and engaged and there and and just proud of me. You know, I, I grew up. You know, some wounds that you have in your life, you're kind of proud to talk about. I'm like, you know, I got this wound playing football, and I'm gonna show you that. And then some wounds, you're like, hey, I'm not gonna tell anybody about that one. I'm not super excited. It wasn't like a, I didn't get that in Vietnam, right? So I can't go. Right? right? So it's one of these wounds. You go, I don't really want to talk about that one. No, that was what it was like for me. Just a sense, and so I kind of carried that emptiness with me into my life, longing and wishing that I had a dad that would just kind of say, "That's that's my son." I just it, it, and listen, I think that affected a lot of relationships in my life. Well, Jesus didn't have that because his father said to the whole listening world, "You're mine." Mine, mine, mine. Oh, you know, I I I have to confess that that when my kids are out playing sports or on a stage somewhere, I, I have that same swelling. That's my son. That's my son. yeah, yeah, Livingston is fast, isn't he? I'm like, yeah. Or you know, when I see my kids doing something, I'm just so proud. Well, I think that what's going on here in Jesus' heart and mind is a deep, full affirmation that you're mine. And that's important. That's a deep, deep anchor. But he doesn't just say that he's mine, he says he's my beloved son. He's my beloved son. Now, this is the second part that is so very significant. A.W. Tozer, he has a quote that I think is really important, uh, and I hope you'll embrace this quote. It stuck with me since the first time I heard it. He says, the single most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. The single most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. So, What do you think about when you think about God? I've known a lot of Christians, and I've been one for a long time myself. You know what? A lot of Christians kind of feel like God's ticked off with them. Disappointed. Kind of tapping his foot, like, ah, come on, get it together. Why are you still doing that? Why are you acting like that? Don't you trust me? Gosh, haven't I shown you that I'm worthy of your trust? God, you don't ever want to have a quiet time. You never want to sit and just talk to me. You know, so there's a low-grade sense of guilt that we carry around all the time that we kind of sense that God is maybe a little bit disappointed. Well, listen here. Jesus gets this, you are my beloved. How does the Father feel about the Son? Complete, deep ocean of love. Full, affirming love. It's his. Now, this is important for us. This is Matthew chapter 3. This is the start of his ministry. He hadn't done anything yet. So he's not getting these words of affirmation because he's done miracles cast out demons, fed multitudes, gone to the cross. He's not getting this affirmation because he worked for it, and the Father's now saying, you know, gosh, you really did great because you did that. He's saying, because of who you are, I'm going to give you this full affirmation. Can you see that on Jesus' face? Can you see the joy of hearing his Father's voice? on the front end of ministry and it had nothing to do with his works. It was everything to do with who he is. Gosh. Um, Just eat that. Just take that in. Just have that as your satisfaction of your soul because that's what would anchor Jesus as he walked forward. Before I go any further, can I just tell you that there is something I have prayed and wanted for myself and for you is that our sense of how we might identify ourselves would be like the apostle John who all through his gospel, how does he describe himself? That's the disciple that Jesus loved. (laughs) That's his core identity. Oh, who are you? Oh, I'm the one that Jesus loved. That's, well, if you want to know who I really am, I think above everything else, above any initial I could put after my name, above any sense of accomplishment that you could list as something, well, he started that, or he made that, or he did that, or she did this, or whatever. No, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Let's start with that. Let's end with that. I mean, how does it go for you when someone's introducing you or you're meeting someone and they say something like this, well, tell me a little bit about yourself? You know what they're asking, and we know how to answer that question. Well, well, I mean, this is my family history, or, or this is the job, or this is the education, or this is, and we're, all we're trying to do is give them a sense of our accomplishments. Yeah, but not John. You want to know about me? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, guess what Jesus gets in this moment? I'm not only his, he loves me his love is how I identify myself now, by the love of the Father. I want you to feel that. I want you to have that. I want you to experience, not just know and hear these words, but to experience them. Because you might be asking this question. Well, I mean, I get that the Father would say that of the Son, but what do you mean? Like, is that mine too? Like, it's it's Jesus's because... Well, he's Jesus. But I'm not Jesus, and I haven't done, and I'm. Friends, please hear this. You've misunderstood who you are. When you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, there was an exchange that happened. You're a new creation. You're not who you were. You've been redeemed, you've been bought, you've been exchanged. All of your sin, all of your shame fell on him on the cross, and he was punished for our sin so that we could become spotless, sinless children of the Father. See the exchange? It's as if the Father is speaking to you and saying, you're mine, mine, mine. You're mine, Father's Day, think of me, because I'm your father. And I love you, love you, love you. I'm not disappointed with you. I'm not tapping my foot and thinking, you knucklehead, why don't you get it together? I'm thinking, I love you with an ocean of love, an inexhaustible, eternal ocean of love. That's yours, because he took our place. Well there's one piece that's left and I think it may be my favorite. Of all the things the father says to the son, maybe this is even best. He's my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So pleased with you. I I go to restaurants and I've got order envy. You know what I mean? Like you walk in and you look at the menu and read the description. You're like, yeah, that sounds good. And then they bring it and you're like, eh, It wasn't exactly what I was reading about. And then you look and sure enough, your kid or your spouse has got some dream plate set in front of them. And you start thinking, man, is it too late to order again? I mean, can I have that or a bite of that? Because what I got, well, guess what? When the father sees the son, he says, I have nothing but joy in you. I'm not disappointed in you. You lack nothing. You are what I wanted. You are what I want. You are perfect. I love you. I like you. Now, that's a big one. I mean, it's one thing to know that you're his. It's one thing to know he loves you, but does he like you? I think every human heart longs for this statement to fall on them. All three pieces, you're mine, I love you, and I am pleased with you. I'm not wishing I had something else, you. So I know that for some of you, this is cutting really deep right now because you feel nothing of that. You you don't feel claimed. You don't feel loved and treasured. You don't feel liked. And that hurts. That hurts. I, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that we walk around, spiritually speaking, we walk around somewhat like this, if you could see us. We walk around something like this. And And we want someone to say to us, in some way or another, you're mine, I love you, and I like you. And so we kind of walk around wanting someone to include us, invite us, draw near to us and tell us that they saw something good. And because they saw that, they want to draw near and they want to be a part of your life and they want to sit with you and they want to know you. And we walk around like this. And, And if we could only accomplish more, maybe it's write a book, maybe it's get a degree, maybe it's buy a certain house, maybe it's have a baby, maybe it's have a particular kind of friend or whatever, and we walk around, and this thing is just like this forever. When I was, and some of you know this story, so bear with me. You know, I'm at the age right now where I can tell the same story with perfect novelty and never remember I said it. It's fantastic. So bear with me if I've, you've heard this story, but my mentor slash hero was my first pastor in college, and I just loved the man. Brilliant, all muscled up, you know, all manly-like in all the interactions. We all just admired and loved him, you know. And I so, because of the wound I described earlier with my dad, I so just wanted that guy to say to me, hmm, you are doing great. And so anytime I was around him, I kind of felt this longing to kind of go, man, hey, dude, would you just put a little something in there, you know. (laughs) I mean, just, just a little something. Just tell me, you know. And, and I remember uh, I went on his birthday, and I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm going to go take him to lunch. And she goes, all right. Are you going down there to get his affirmation? And I said, no, maybe. And uh, I went, took him to lunch. Didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't go like it probably went as bad as it could go right like he's like man you sure you want to be a pastor if you're I don't know if you're cut out for this I'm like oh gosh I mean you didn't have to say that I mean maybe you won't put anything in it but you didn't need to break the darn thing right you know um, so I left and I was like ah I came back drooping my wife goes how'd it go I said not very good And she goes, Robert, you do not need his affirmation. You don't need it. And I went on a prayer retreat the next week. And I'll be honest with you. I carried that wound to God that day, but I was scared. I was just scared. I thought, you know, Lord, if I I take the emptiness that is in me that I'm so aware of, and I do this to you, and you shut me down, I don't think I'm going to recover. I, I don't see any way. So I was a little scared to kind of say to God, will you just give me a sense that that you love me? Like, I just didn't want to say it because I thought for sure, knowing me and knowing my sin and my unbelief and knowing where I was at, I was like, there's no way because if he says no, like my mentor had said no, like, gosh, I don't know. But I went out walking, and I prayed. And, I, and and if you ever see, like, lifting my hands in worship, I'll tell you why. I didn't used to do that. I would have been embarrassed to do that because, to me, that was, like, somehow too much or drawing attention to myself. Some. But I started doing that because I learned that in prayer, that that day as I walked and prayed, I was reaching, reaching for him. Like, come on, give me, give me your hand. And I just told him, I need to know that that you love me. Because if I don't have that, I don't know if I can do this job. I don't even sure what I could do. And the father just spoke so gently to my soul that day and showed me this passage. When you came into Christ, you came into this. You're mine. You're not an orphan. Orphans have to fight to provide for themselves, protect themselves. You're not that. I'm your your father. You're mine. And yea, though you fail, (laughs) I love you. I saw all your failures before they were committed. I loved you when I saw the whole thing before I saved you. I saw your backsliding. I saw your uh, lukewarmness. I saw your great moments and your bad moments, and I chose to love you and save you, and that's never going to change. I love you. and I like you. I like you. I'm pleased with you. You might do what I do sometimes. I kind of get comparing myself to other pastors. Like, man, I wish I was more like, yeah, like Michael. Michael's got these great skills and organizational skills, but also just in-command skills. And like, he's got enormous skills in some ways. I look at Josh and Jordan, and I'm like, man, I wish I was more like that. And I wish I wasn't quite so loud and talkative. Sometimes I was kind of more thoughtful. And, you know, and, so, and I'm like, ah, you, you ever do that where you compare yourself and then you kind of find yourself wanting? Let me tell you what that is. That's you and I forgetting that in Christ, he says, you're mine, I love you, and I like you. I made no mistakes when I made you. I like, the, I like the look of your eyes. I like the sound of your laugh, the way you sign your name. I like your personality. I like who you are. I created you as my masterpiece of grace. I'm well pleased with you. And as you do this, friends, as you take your heart. And rather than like a beggar, handing it out to everybody that you know, wanting your spouse, your kids, your friends to put something in it that will make you feel sufficient, take it to the Lord. Psalm 90 verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. You know, that is a good prayer every morning. Satisfy me with you. Let me take this and hold it up to you and you fill it so that I don't walk around holding it out to everybody I meet hoping that they're going to somehow put a copper coin in there for me. What if God poured everything into that and said, you're mine and I love you and I like you. You know what you'd walk around like? You would be Like a person so full that if you move the slightest bit, it's going to slosh out. You move a little bit, it's going to slosh out. It's just everywhere because the love of God is so good and so rich that you will become a giver of God's grace, pouring it out to the quiet little moments of people that you meet, people that you encounter who need it so desperately. And you can't get from somebody who is created by God what he's already given you in Christ. You can't get it there. You you can't get it from somebody. You get it from him. Like the son got it from him here in Matthew chapter 3. And I long for us to encounter him every day, many times a day, and just say to him, say it again, remind me again that I'm yours that you love me, and it's not a blind love. You know me. You didn't love me because you, we were on a first date and, you know, I hit all my flaws. No, you knew what you were buying when you bought me, and you love me, and you like me. You like me. You're pleased with me, and it's all purchased for us because of Jesus. That is a great redeemer. You know, every sermon should point you to that table. You should find yourself not with a bunch of things to do, but a bunch of things to celebrate. The doing comes out of that. The repenting, the, the, the walking with him, it all comes out of that. So I want you to pray with me. And I want you to just ask the Lord God to say to your soul what he said to the Son has been said to you and to me. Let's pray.